Good morning, everybody. My name is Jenny, and it's my privilege to welcome you to worship here at Kirkpatrick this morning. It feels today like we've taken some steps towards normalcy with the lifting of the booking ahead ban and the seating, the booking ahead and the seating requirements. We do ask that you would just leave a space between yourselves and the next family in your pew, um, and we also would ask that while you may take your masks off while seated as you're moving about the building and when we sing hymns, if you would please put your, your mask back on. Um, I think that's it for sort of the, the, the COVID announcements bit of the morning. And uh, we come now to worship. And as we walk through these doors, some of us may be filled with joy about great things that have happened this week. And others of us maybe came through the doors carrying some pretty heavy burdens possibly from news of war and unrest in the world, and maybe from battles that we're fighting on a more personal front in our own lives closer to home. And I invite you to join me now in laying down whatever you've carried through the door today, just laying it down here at the foot of the cross, and with me turning your eyes towards Jesus, who is our help, our hope, and our salvation. He's invited us into his house this morning, and he has good things prepared for us as we join together here. So let's prepare our hearts to worship him now with the words of Psalm 27, 1 to 6. And as we think about these words together, let's think of them not just as a prayer and a plea for ourselves, but also for the people of Ukraine this morning too. Psalm 27, 1 to 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And let's sing to him now the song, The Lord is My Salvation. Father God, you are indeed our only hope for salvation. <clears throat> Lord, we've seen in full color the past few weeks the devastating results of human brokenness and sin as it's played out on the world stage. Lord, we desperately need you to heal the brokenness in our world. We can't fix the problems of war and greed and pride on our own. We cry out to you for mercy, for peace, for changed hearts and changed actions. Father, we also confess that sin and brokenness are not only problems in the wider world, but also in our own hearts. Lord, each of us are broken people too. We do damage to one another because of our sin. Lord, we personally need you to heal each of us as well. Forgive our sins, heal our brokenness, and make us whole in the ways that only you can so that we may go out and minister in your name to the world around us. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, your mercy, and for hearing all the prayers of your children. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
I'm sure many of you, like Robert and I, have been watching with concern and disbelief as events have unfolded in Ukraine over the last few weeks. One of the members of our church family here, Jillian Holmes, has some very personal connections to Ukraine and to its people, and she's going to come up for our Connecting Church slot this morning to share with us about her experience and about her Ukrainian friends so that we can all pray better for them and for the situation there. So Jillian, welcome. Thank you, Jenny, and good morning, everybody. Um, my connection with Ukraine goes back, well, longer than I'd care to recall, but from the summer of 2000 to the summer of 2001, I spent a year there, um, down in the south on the Black Sea in Odessa with IFES. Um, and I suppose we hear lots about conflict on the news, and it feels very far away, but for me this feels very personal, because when I think of Ukraine... I see faces of people that I know and love and places that I love as well and a country that I agree to be very fond of. Um, so I thought this morning maybe the best thing that I could do was introduce you to some of my friends um, and tell you a little bit about their stories over the last, well, the last week and a half. So if we start first of all on the top left, uh, Brian and Lena Welsh. So Brian and Lena both worked as IFES members of staff when I was in Ukraine. Um, for the movement there, which is called SSH. Um, then they, they married. They have three teenage daughters, and they continue to work for IFES in Kiev. Um, they actually live in a little town just outside of Kiev called Bucha, um, and it has a military hospital, so it was part of those early first strikes on that first Thursday. Um, they left and traveled, really just left with emergency bags that they'd had packed. They traveled west, to the town of Lutsk, where Lena's from. Her mother and her sister still live there, and then decided that really their best option was to head for the border into Poland. So they spent three nights in their car, all five of them, and the dog, um, in a 10-mile queue waiting to get over the border. Um, they arrived safely last Monday in Poland, um, and they're, they're working with local churches to try and help coordinate some of the relief efforts um, for, the, for the hundreds of thousands who are also crossing the border. I think in particular they were really touched while they were in that queue um, of traffic. There were people in the towns nearby who they called their angels, who just ordinary people who cooked hot meals, drove them in their cars and handed them out along that queue of traffic and they were particularly touched by that. If we move down below, then to Anatoly and Lacia Sapse. Anatoly also worked for um, IFE staff when I was in Ukraine. He now actually is the Ukraine director for Innovista, which I know is a, is a movement that works here in Ireland as well with students. Um, they live in Lviv, which is a major city right in the west of Ukraine. Where they are at the minute, it's not, it's not too bad. It's relatively safe. Um, and I know that Tolik there is coordinating a lot of the local churches for the relief efforts. Even in Western cities within Ukraine, the relief efforts not just at the borders and countries like Poland and Moldova. A lot of Ukrainians don't want to leave Ukraine, but they're traveling west because there's no, well, the fighting hasn't certainly reached there yet. Um, 
So uh, Tolik himself has hosted, is hosting two other families in his own home at the minute and a lot of the members of his church um, and a lot of his friends and members of his congregation are doing the same. And then at the very bottom is Yulia Baskova. She works as a translator in Odessa and she was actually one of the students that we worked with um, when we were in Ukraine. On the second day, on, so it would be Friday a week ago, there were explosions right beside her apartment. So she basically just lifted her passport and managed to find a car halfway to the border with Moldova and walk the rest. So she has arrived in Moldova with pretty much a passport and not much more. Um, just on that, actually, in Moldova, a former member of IFE staff there, um, Eugen, he now works for the Moldovan government and he's helping to coordinate a lot of their relief effort too. Then in the bottom right-hand side, um, Yuri Salomovsky and his wife and his sons. Um, he also, he was the leader of the student group in Odessa that we worked with. Um, he now works in IT and his family had been living in Odessa until recently. They, like many Ukrainians, have moved further into the countryside, so they have moved up to Konstseba, uh, which is about halfway between Odessa and Kyiv and a little bit closer to the Moldovan border. So again, it's safer where they are, but I know he's been involved in trying to put together packs of groceries for the Ukrainian army um, to help support them. And then at the top right-hand side, um, Victor and Anna Kuznetsov, uh, Victor and Anna, I couldn't find a picture of Victor. <laughs> Sorry, Victor. Um, Victor and Anna also both worked for, or both worked for IFES in the SS HAD movement when I was there. They currently live in the Netherlands, and Anna's mum, quite fortunately, had come to visit them just before the war started. Um, but Victor's mum um, lives in that Chernikiv region where there's a lot of fighting just at the minute. She lives alone in her apartment and I know they're very worried about her. Um, also his brother has joined up with the People's Army and his wife and family are still in Kiev in their apartment and obviously things aren't good there. I think Anna had particularly said the difficulty in Kiev. People are spending so much time in underground stations and in basements um, it's still very cold in Ukraine. Temperatures don't really reach much above freezing at this time of year. Um, so I know that that has been very difficult for them. Moving on from kind of, oh, I could tell you about lots more people, but I don't have time. I thought it would be helpful just to put some names and faces and stories to the things that we're hearing and, and seeing on the news. Um, I'd asked... Um, several of those people there if, where there were specific prayer points what, what in general would they like people to pray for um, so these were some of the things that they had mentioned for a just end to the war for those involved in direct military activity those men aged 18 to 60 who are waiting to be called up and their families for the needs of those who have evacuated to be met food, water, clothing bedding, medicine as well as protection for those who have not left, either through choice or because they're unable to leave. For mission organisations like IFES and Inavista, 
as they seek to support their staff and students who are still in Ukraine, some international students as well, who were unable to leave the country. For communication channels to remain open, I know for a lot of my friends that's their biggest fear, that they'll not have contact with the world beyond Ukraine, that they'll not be able to make contact to be able to tell what's happening. But all of them also wanted us to give thanks. To give thanks that the world is God's and that he is in control. To give thanks that Ukrainian churches have stepped up to serve their brothers and their sisters. To give thanks for the ordinary people being generous with their time, with their money, their cars, their food, their homes. And a lot of them have also mentioned to me um, this psalm, Psalm 46. Um, it's something that they have found great comfort in. Um, and it's something that's cropped up again and again in news and, and posts that they have put up online or out in their prayer emails. God is our strength, refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Thank you so much for sharing, Gillian. I know it's never easy to come up and stand in front of church, but certainly to share things that are so personal and important um, to you. Um, let's just pray now for some of the, the things that um, Jillian and her friends in Ukraine have asked us to pray for. Father God, we come before you and we are so thankful that you remain on your throne. We're so thankful that you remain in control of all things, even when it doesn't feel like it or seem like it to us. Lord, we thank you for the way that the Christian church is being salt and light in, in and around Ukraine at this time. Father, we pray that you would just strengthen those believers, that you would help them to continue to be salt and light, continue to be a reflection of you. Thank you for the generosity of people who have shared their homes, uh, their food, their provisions um, to meet the needs of those around them. Lord, we thank you that um, in all of this, your image in us is not erased and um, that, that those there are still caring for one another. Lord, we also just pray for a just end to this war. We pray for protection of life. We pray that you would be, especially with those men who are being called into military service and, for, and with their families, Lord, we pray that you would give them 
the peace that passes all understanding, that you would give them protection. Father, for those who have fled and for those who have stayed, we ask that their basic needs would be met for food and shelter, for water and medicine and, and security, Lord. Just um, look after each one. And may they receive loving care and generosity and open doors wherever they go, wherever they find themselves um, from this point forward. Lord, we ask that lines of communication would be protected and that supplies and provisions would find their way to the people who need them most. Lord, we lift up before you Christian organizations on the ground in Ukraine like IFES and others. Father, we pray especially for, um, for Jillian's friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ, Brian and Lena. Anatoly and Lacia, Yulia, Yuri, and his family, and Victor and Anna. Lord, strengthen these believers. Guide them through difficult decisions, through fear and shock and grief and worry. Give them your peace. Enable them to cling to you and to point others to you too in the midst of this horrific situation. Lord, we lay these things down at your feet and we ask you to work and to move and to provide. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is the first Sunday of Lent today, and before we open up scripture in just a few minutes, um, I think it's appropriate that we all turn our eyes towards Jesus and just trace his steps to the cross on our behalf. So sing with me now, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 6, 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of, with the, pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Paul, I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Jenny. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you this morning. So in a few months' time, believe it or not, I'll have been with you for two years. So I think it's about time I introduce you to the two remaining members of the Lutton household. You ready for them? Here they are, Marlo and Spencer, who are old men now at 13. Now, when I first arrived at Kirkpatrick, I was the only person on the staff team to have some four-legged friends at home. 
And I don't know if it was the sight of my sleepy two in the background of our Zoom meetings or not, but before too long, everybody else got a pup, though not as quiet as my two, as it turned out. Now, I can't remember the exact order in which this happened, but we had Woody, our then church administrator, Lila's feisty little terrier, and then Scout, Mary Rose's energetic German shepherd, pictured here doing a spot of laundry. You've got her well-trained, Mary Rose. And then, most infamous of all, we've got Rocky and the Black Lab from Gareth's household. Suddenly, staff meetings weren't so quiet. But even so, we were all encouraged to learn that our new office manager and our new minister were both dog owners. So without further ado, meet James, Luna, and Graham's Obi. It's not a requirement to be a dog owner at Kirkpatrick, but it helps. Now, I don't know about all the other dogs I've mentioned, but my two love playing fetch. They have this special knack, you have to see this sometime, of carrying the stick back to me in tandem. And that's quite a sight to behold, especially as one dog is half the size of the other. But sometimes, when I throw the stick, they miss where it lands. It can be in a really, really obvious place, not too far away from them, but they just can't see it. And so they run back to me, and they look at me the way dogs do, alert with anticipation, ready for me to throw it again. But I can't throw it again because it's not in my hand. It's lying in the grass a couple of meters behind them. So I start to point. It's there. Look, right there behind you. Go get it. Go get it. But they don't go get it. They keep looking at me. In fact, they start looking at my finger. And the more I point and gesticulate like this, the more fixated on my finger they become. And they start to jump at it. They start to bark at it. And in the end, I have to give up pointing, go and get the stick myself, which I think defeats the purpose of fetch, doesn't it? You see, my dogs, I think, can be pretty smart. But they're not smart enough to read signs. They're just not able to follow the direction of my finger to get the prize at the end. All they can see is my finger. Now, when it comes to the miracles of Jesus, sometimes all people see is the miracle. Sometimes they can be a bit like my dogs playing fetch. They get stuck on the sign and they miss the treasure that's waiting for them. The signs that we've encountered in John's gospel so far are well known to most people even to those who have little knowledge of the Bible. I mean, watch any panel TV show sometime or listen to a stand-up comic, and if Jesus is ever mentioned, you can be sure there'll be some joke about feeding the 5,000 or walking on water. But you're most certainly not going to get a serious discussion about what either of these miracles might mean. You see, they get stuck on the signs and they fail to consider what they might reveal about who Jesus is. And you know, it's not just TV panelists and stand-up comedians that can miss the point about Jesus. In today's reading, John shows us that many people in Jesus' own day fail to see too far beyond his signs either. Unlike contemporary comics, of course, they believed in the truth of miracles. But the problem for them was that they were more interested in the healings than the healer. If you look again at the beginning of the chapter, you'll see this. 
There we read that a crowd gathered to see Jesus. Why? Because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. John makes this point very subtly here. But as we move through the passage, it becomes all the more clear that these, this crowd is not interested in the healings or more interested in the healings than the healer. For example, did you notice that Jesus actually seems quite reluctant to meet with this crowd? Maybe that, that escaped your notice as we read it. He knows that they're searching him, you see, for the wrong reasons. Look again at what we read right at the very beginning. After John tells us that this great crowd had begun following Jesus, what does Jesus do? We read that he and his disciples, they retreat up a mountain, only for the crowd to follow hot on their heels. Now, as someone who was up Cave Hill this morning with some other members of our church family, I can tell you, you don't go to that sort of effort without good reason. It's almost as if Jesus was trying to get a bit of headspace from this crowd here. That's certainly what he does after the miracle is performed, after Jesus provides that great feast from no more than a schoolboy's packed lunch. In verse 15, right at the bottom, Jesus tells us that Jesus makes another hasty retreat up another mountain, and this time he does it alone. And why? Because yet again, the crowd have misunderstood him. Their fixation on the signs and wonders has led them to conclude that he must be this political savior they've been hoping for, that he's the person to lead the resistance against the powerful Romans. That's not who Jesus is. And you know, to really appreciate the extent to which the crowd just don't get Jesus, the, the extent to which they get stuck on the sign, well, we need to move beyond the passage we've read and to look at the rest of chapter 6. Now, we're not going to do all of that now, but I want to point out just two bits for you. I mean, if we look at verse 25, for example, here we discover that Jesus' interaction with the crowd hasn't actually come to an end after he retreats to that mountain. It turns out that they follow him yet again. This time they follow him all the way to the other side of the Lake of Galilee. Now notice how Jesus responds when he sees them. He turns to them and he says pretty directly, you're not interested in who I am. You're only here because you had your fill of bread and fish and you want more. And if that isn't clear enough, if we cast our eyes to the very end of the chapter, way down at verse 66, after Jesus explains the meaning of the miracle, when he makes it clear to them that this sign is about him, what do we discover? We discover that many who were following him turned back. You see, the crowd were stuck on the sign. And when they heard Jesus say who he really was in plain terms, they didn't want to know. Now, there's a warning here for us as we come to look at this miracle. We don't want to be like the crowd, or my dogs for that matter. We don't want our gaze to stop at the sign on this miracle we know so well. We want our eyes, as we were just singing, to look to Jesus. We don't want to stop at the five loaves. We want the main meal, don't we? Jesus himself, the bread of life. Because that's what this sign reveals to us. It reveals that Jesus 
is the true bread that comes from heaven. The one who comes to open us to that fullness of life we've been talking about in this series. And it's this that makes all the difference for us. And it's what makes this more than just a nice story we all learned in Sunday school. Jesus is the bread of life. And that means he continues to nourish and sustain us right here and now. So for the last half of this sermon, I want us to look beyond this sign, beyond this miracle to Jesus as we ask what all this could mean for us today. And I've got three simple questions for you, okay? Three questions I want you to consider in light of this passage and what it reveals about Jesus. And the first one is a question we've been thinking about already in the service this morning as we consider world events around us. How do I respond to need? Well, to answer this question, Let's go back to verse 5 for a moment, towards the start of this passage, because there we read, Jesus gives Philip a test of faith. Looking at the hungry crowds, he turns to Philip and he says, where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? Now that's a question for Philip, but I think it's a question for us too. Because this passage asks us to consider how we are to respond to need. What are we to do when faced with a seemingly insurmountable problem? Now, as I say, that's a question we're all asking right now, looking at the desperate and precarious situation in Ukraine. It is difficult to know how we're to respond. The challenge seems so big that we feel utterly overwhelmed by it. Well, I think Jesus offers us an answer in this sign. First of all, he shows us how not to respond. Poor Philip gets the honor honor of illustrating this point for us. He immediately assesses the problem in human terms. Did you notice? Material terms. And he spectacularly feels the test Jesus has set him. Lord, we can't possibly afford it, he says. Six months' wages wouldn't be enough to buy a crust. Philip's head, you see, is stuck in the marketplace. But Philip's not the only one to answer Jesus' question. There's also Andrew. And we read that Andrew is the one to bring Jesus the little boy's packed lunch. Five meager loaves and two small fish. It's almost laughable. You've got 5,000 rumbling tummies And Andrew offers this paltry amount. But it turns out to be enough. Because Jesus takes this small contribution and, well, we know what happens, don't we? There are no more growling stomachs. Everyone has enough. There is no one in need and there is more left over besides. I think this is the choice before us when we look at Ukraine or any other situation where there is great need, maybe a seemingly impossible need. Either we can throw our hands up in the air and say, the situation is so impossible, there's really nothing we can do. Or we can give what we have. We can do what we can in faith, trusting that God can take our small offering 
and work it to his abundant good. That's why we need to give whatever we can, whatever practical support we can for Ukraine. And it's why we need to continue to pray. You see, this approach that Jesus sets out for us here rescues us from the mistake of thinking that the world's needs can only be addressed by the world's solutions. And on the other hand, it rescues us from the equally serious mistake of thinking that we human beings don't have a role to play. Instead, God takes our meager loaves and our two small fish and works it for his good. So that's the first question. This is where we come then to our second question I want us to consider. Because as we think about how we are to respond to the needs of others, well, we're also led to consider our own needs. And it leads us to this question, what do I need? Well, to answer this point, I want to take you back to my dogs for a moment. Here's Spencer snuffling in the grass, probably for some food. Because the truth is, my dogs don't need very much to be happy. A bit of food is all it takes. I walk around the park, and at their age, plenty of sleep. That's about it. If these physical needs are met for Marlo and Spencer, well, it's a dog's life. They're pretty happy. And that's fine because they're dogs. They're animals. But I don't treat my children that way. They need a little bit more than a bit of food and a walk around the park because my children, like me, are images of God. We have been made with more than physical needs. And we don't need Maslow's hierarchy of needs to tell us this. We know from experience that God has made us different from the animals. As his image bearers, we have other needs that must be met if we're to flourish as human beings. God made us to be moral beings, who have a sense of right and wrong, who can feel compassion and guilt and remorse. God made us to be social beings who crave intimacy and affection. He made us to be aesthetic beings who desire beauty and truth. And most importantly, he created us to be spiritual beings whose deepest need is to commune with the one who made us. And that means with, without God, we're profoundly diminished. Even more than we're diminished without food or water or friendship or art or anything else that makes us fully human. And I think the problem we're facing as a species today is that we've convinced ourselves that we no longer need God. That he no longer has a place in our hierarchy of needs. And I think part of that is that the, the secular humanism that so dominates our culture would have us believe that really we're nothing more than material beings. But you know, for all the sophistication of this secular humanism, it ironically results in a tragic reduction of what it means to be human. I prefer a Christian humanism advocated by my hero, Marilyn Robinson. Sorry to mention her again. Here's what she says. Without the great analogy that we are images of God, we hardly know what we are. This is why I think Jesus responds the way he does to the tempter in the wilderness, which we often focus on at this time of year, and which some of us were reading together up the cave hill this morning. You'll remember the story how the devil first tempts Jesus 
by saying to him, turn these stones into bread and end your hunger. But Jesus replies by telling him that human beings don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, we have a hunger, a great need that is deeper than our bellies. In our innermost being, we desire the one who made us, the one who has given us life and called us to be his image bearers. And we will never be truly at home, never fully ourselves, until we feast on him, the living word, the bread of life. So this brings me to our third and final question for this morning. Well, if all this is true, how are we to feed on this bread? What must we do? Well, I think this miracle, this sign, points us towards an answer to this question too. We only need to look to those opening verses. Notice, what does the crowd have to do before Jesus gives them the loaves and the fish? Nothing. Not a thing. All they're asked to do is to sit and receive. They're completely passive. Jesus is the one who acts. This feast is his free gift, his grace. And you know, it's the same with us. When we come to Jesus, when we come to feast on the bread of life, all that we need to do is to sit down. We simply accept this free gift in faith, trusting that Jesus is the Lord of life. I think one of the most beautiful expressions of this truth, of the grace of the gospel, comes in George Herbert's great Eucharistic poem, Love. It's the third poem called Love that he wrote. I think I've shared this with one or two of you before at one of our lunch, our Advent liturgies. Um, the poem imagines the speaker arriving at a heavenly banquet, feeling utterly undeserving of a place at the table. But Jesus, simply referred to in the poem as love, has other things to say. Let me read it to you as we draw to a close. Love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, Ah, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. I know you not, says love. Who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Friends, this sign we have read about today in John's gospel is a finger that points us to Jesus, the bread of life, the only one who can satisfy our deepest hunger. This is a simple message, 
But on this Sunday of, Adv- or of Lent, sorry, it's one that we all need to hear again. Because whoever you are this morning and wherever you are in your journey through life, Jesus invites you to come to him in faith today, believing that he is the one sent from the Father to give life and life in abundance. All he asks of you is that you accept this invitation. All he asks is that you sit and eat. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to sing now as a prayerful response to what we have just heard as we sing, As the Deer Pants for the Water. In a moment, Jenny's going to lead us in our prayers for others. But before then, I just want to make a few announcements. Um, First of all, um, some good news that I should have announced last week is congratulations to Richard and Naomi Rainey, who welcomed a new member of their little family, um, little Ivy Elizabeth Rainey, born on the 19th of February. Um, So let's join together in, in just congratulating them and praying for this young family as it continues to grow. A quick reminder as well that tonight our Faith Academy continues. If you haven't been along and you would like to come tonight, please do so. I didn't make it to the first one, but I was there last week and was really glad to have been there. And we'd love to see you there tonight. And we meet at 8 p.m. in the hall. Um, And then just our main announcement this morning um, is to alert you to the moderator's appeal. Now, you'll have heard about this if you get the weekly update. If you haven't got that, by the way, and would like a hard copy, I believe Mary Rose, is that right, right, Mary Rose, has some hard copies with her this morning, and she can hand them out to you if you don't have one. But in that email, you'll have read about the moderator's appeal for Ukraine. And this morning, we've heard about um, some of our own connections with um, Ukraine, and indeed in the sermon, about how we give what little we can in the hope that God will do something with it. So if we just go on to the next slide um, there for a second, you'll see here that the moderator has launched an appeal and the Presbyterian Church has already released £60,000 to distribute distribute between three um, organizations, Christian Aid, Tear Fund, and the Hungarian Church, um, Reformed Church Aid. If you go to the next slide, Noah. Um, I just want to say a little bit about um, the Hungarian Reformed Church aid. Um, you may have noticed uh, one of the spokespersons for that, um, for the church, was on BBC News just the other night. That was the sister, actually, of a minister in PCI who transferred a couple of years ago, Andrash. And Andrash's wife is assistant minister in Gilna Herk. So we have a personal connection to that, too. Um, the Hungarian Reformed Church has been one of the most active organizations on the ground distributing aid. But we'll also be supporting, just on the next slide, Noah, Christian Aid and Tear Fund, who'll be working with local partners to help with the situation there. And Noah, just one more slide for me, if that's okay. Um, You'll see here on the screen some prayer points, but Gillian's already very helpfully outlined some ways we can pray together. So what I'll suggest we do is we'll put these points and Gillian's points, if she doesn't mind, in in our email this week, and that will give us a chance at home to continue to pray for the situation in Ukraine. Importantly for us this morning, though, how do you give to this? Well, there are a couple of different ways. Um, The first is that there will be a retiring offering this week and next week, and some envelopes will be available if you would like to do that. But if you're in our uh, 
church family in your own church suite. You can also donate through church suite. And there were details in the email this week about how to donate by bank transfer. So let's do consider how we can practically support the situation in Ukraine, even if it is in a small way. And of course, let's continue to pray together as well. Jenny. We'll pray together now, and we'll do so just keeping in mind that we're so fortunate and blessed to be able to do this openly and freely here, Um, and we will be conscious of brothers and sisters around the world who don't enjoy those same um, privileges that we do. Let's pray, please. Lord, we come before you now to pray for our world. We ask that you would be actively working in the hearts and minds of world leaders. Give them wisdom. Give them courage, guide them towards justice and the pursuit of peace. Father, change hearts that are bent on destruction and war. Soften hard hearts, turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We ask that your Holy Spirit would prompt and prod those in leadership towards your will and your plans. Lord, we also pray for believers around the world at this, the start of the Lenten season. Turn our eyes collectively and individually to Jesus as we follow him on his journey to the cross on our behalf. We pray for revival in the worldwide church, that we as believers around the globe would return to our first love. Give us unity and love for one another so that the world would know our faith by our love for each other and our love for you. Lord, in our own church family, we remember those who have suffered recent bereavements, those families who continue to battle with illness, those who are dealing with serious ongoing health concerns, those who face challenges in the workplace, and those who need healing and restoration in relationships. Thank you that we can cast all our cares on you and be certain that you care for us, that you love us, and that you have plans for our ultimate good and your ultimate glory. We thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's sing our final hymn together, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. We've been encouraged by fellowship this morning, fed on God's word, and strengthened by worship. The Lord has reminded us that he remains on his throne and that nothing in all of creation can separate us from his love. Now we're sent out into a world which needs the light of Jesus, the love of the Savior, the peace that passes all understanding, and the hope of the good news. So let's enter this week with these words in our hearts. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a lovely week.